Uh, well, Corbin, uh, want to thank you for coming on. Um, and like to start, just acknowledge, uh, how important you are personally to me in my life. I try to tell you all the time, you know, the gratitude that I have for you and Kara. Um, but I think back about the first time we met and I think it was cause my dog, like snuck into your house or something Best story. like a kind of a, like an intimate moment or whatever. Like he's just checking it out, you know, just we had just moved on. into your neighborhood and I, you know, I sleep with all my doors open next to the river. The air is naturally cool. So you leave the doors open, that cool air comes in. Well, so does Houston. So I wake up one morning and there is this big shaggy dog inside my house. My golden retriever, is sleeping through this on the floor next to me. And I'm thinking any second he's going to wake <laughs> up and craziness is going to ensue. Sure enough. Well, Houston had come to visit and my first meeting of Houston. And from there I met you. And that was my introduction to the no, hood. So great. And I like, we had no idea just one, just how many ways our past would cross. And I think that's been like a, kind of a, a gift for me and Chels to be able to interact with you and Karen, you know, so many fun and interesting ways. And I think the second one is just to like, you're somebody that's so inspiring to me and, you know, we, we can get into the different reasons, but I, I just, I really admire the way that you live your life and the purpose that like, it's very deliberate, you know, you, you don't do things, haphazardly like there's a there's a plan and there's a purpose and you you think through things and so on so many fronts I, I think about you know just being an amazing neighbor and friend and you know some of our early deals that we do one of our first investors and in supporting us and showing us confidence and I, I think about you know you kind of get me in to teach at BYU and just how much fun I've had you know with that class and with the kids and being able to watch, you know, l literally learn. I, I'd go to your class as a student. I'm like, I just want to sit in here. I just want to learn because I, I dropped out of college. So I'm like, I, I get to like learn about entrepreneurship again, you know, and so I'm teaching it, but I'm also like learn then. I've, it's just been so great. So, so awesome to have you here. And you those know, are very kind words. Yeah. Thank I mean, they're, you. they're sincere and they're just true. Like I just, you're a gracious person. You and Chels both. That's one of your great attributes is your graciousness. You guys are top notch. And no, I appreciate you. the kind words back. Uh, so, I mean, let's go to the very beginning. Um, like this bug of like, I'm not going to work for somebody else. I think that was the first thing that I noticed about you is like, you're a hardcore entrepreneur. Like I'm, I'm like a, I, I was a, you know, intrapreneur for so long. I was entrepreneurial. But I, I wasn't starting my own company. I was trying to be entrepreneurial within an organization. That was never your life. Like no. it was kind of like the very first day you just said, I'm going to go do this. Like, where does that come from? Like, is it like, as, as far, like, when was the first time where you just said, I'm not going to be in a box? I'm not going to yeah. like. Probably even before, but I can really trace it back to 13 years old. My one older brother. Then myself and I determined that the snow shack was too far away from home. Now, funny, because you and I, we talk about when we teach finding a pain. Well, a 13-year-old and a 15-year-old boy, boys, 
our pain was that the snow shack was too far from our home. We had to drive whatever, six miles or something to get to it. So we contacted the owner. We talked him into selling us one of his snow shack buildings. He'd never done it. Now, well, after that, then he started franchising everything. But we were the first ones to talk him into it. 13 and 15-year-old boys. Our dad popped the money for us, and off we went. We operated a snow shack for four months during the year, and that's where it started. I mean, I literally, like, I've got a 13 to 15-year-old right now. Yeah. And I think if they came to me and said, like, I want to bring a snow shack, I'd be so excited. I'd just be like how can I like support yeah. this, like this drive, you know, that your dad had to be so pumped. That, like my I don't kids think are- my dad hesitated. I can't remember those details, but it happened. So he was willing. That's so cool. You know, that thing made 3000 to 3,500 bucks net yeah. each summer. So I was the wealthiest that's like life self-made change. thousandaire life in junior high and high school. For sure. Yeah. It's just not about the three grand, although, hey, that was a lot of money. It was figuring out my cost of goods on each snow cone. for sure. It was opening and closing. It was managing employees. The education that I got from 13 to 19 years old, making next to nothing. I mean, it's like, it's the gold. It's, you know, you... And I think your identity, it's got to just like give you so much pride. Identity is a good word. Yeah. I, it was my identity because everybody was like, oh, Corbin, he has the snow shack. Yeah. He's got his own business. And that was all through high school. And I don't know. I didn't think much of it other than this is what I do. It was so innate. I didn't ever think I'm going to be an entrepreneur. It was just, I didn't get jobs. I, I did things to make money. See, that's great. Like for me, I never had that. Like I, I don't think I ever saw myself as an entrepreneur and maybe I didn't have like the confidence because I was a very confident kid, Yeah, but maybe not the confidence in that. And, and maybe it was that I didn't have kind of the right mentors or models or whatever it was, but I, you know, was always very entrepreneurial but within an organization, you know what I mean? But that was always something that stuck out to me is like, and we'll have kids in class that come up and just say, Hey, you know, should I do this? Or, and I just said, my, my road and Corbin's road are very different. I was extremely entrepreneurial for 16, 17 years within an organization. Yeah. And I was able to act as an entrepreneur without the same liability. Corbin's hardcore. Like Corbin from the day, you know, he got started. He's never taken a paycheck from anybody else. And that's not my life. You know, maybe that's the ADHD in me. I see a lot of kids with ADHD and they tend to be on that path. So I've almost wondered if it was that. Yeah. But if you take that word entrepreneur, it's a very unique word. And I don't mean, I mean it from the standpoint of, well, here's a good example. Two young ladies, one of whom took our class They started a business, it's a marketing firm, and they are crushing it. They're doing so well. They were my guests in class two weeks ago. Yeah. They take the class, and she was headed down the road of medical. She was going to medical school. She comes into the class, and all of a sudden, she diverts from medical school, and she's going to be an entrepreneur. But her statement to me was, Corbin, before I took your class, I didn't even know what entrepreneurism was. Yeah. And I would have to say same for me. I didn't either. 
I just didn't think I need to go get a job. Yeah. Instead, I was creating ways to make money, but not with a lot of forethought. Yeah. Just, I mean, innate is the best You're just out hustling. Yeah. Yep. Which is a lot of what you did. You did it within an organization. I, I, I had a very similar, I mean, it was in sales and sales is like, I felt like I was a business owner my entire career. Like I, I never had a salary ever. Like it was all variable comp. It was zero or it was a lot and there was no cap. So it was structured very similar to being a business owner and a lot of kind of the same mechanics. But some of the pieces that weren't there was I didn't sign my name on a lease. I didn't have to go pay payroll every week. You know, a lot of like those core functions that actually like you need to go learn those things. Like those good lessons. in Yeah. You and I just never did, you know, and, and it, you know, everybody's past different, but I always admired that so much about you. And and I have always wanted to ask the question of like, where'd it come from? Yeah. Like you born with it. You have a dad that's teaching you. Is it just something that you have that experience so early that it's like this aha moment? That's like, I'm never going to go like, I'm sure like $8 an hour, $20 an hour is like repulsive to you. It's like, I can't (laughs) do that. Why would I do that? Well, my dad's path was the same as yours. So he was entrepreneurial. He was a salesman within an organization, but no cap. The harder he worked, the more he made. Yeah. And so there was that entrepreneurial thing in the family and he was always encouraging it. Yeah. But I also noted this. You said a moment ago, it's about sales. A company with sales if there are sales, people can come along behind us and clean up our mess. For sure. If there's revenue. Yeah. When there's not revenue. You're dead. You're dead. You're dead. It's a tough road. Yeah. My dad was the consummate salesman. Casey, everything I did my entire life, I was being sold on. But I didn't realize it until I was in my 20s. But my dad's telling me how I need to get up early and weed that flower bed. Because in the morning, the ground is moist and it's cool outside. The weeds are going to come easier and it's going to be not as difficult work because it's not going to be as hot. He was selling everything I did. And so the other thing people say is like, how did you learn to sell? You know, you always hear the quote, you could sell ice to an Eskimo or whatever those cliches are. My dad sold me on everything I did. I don't think he did it intentionally. It's just just natural salesman. It's like, I need these kids to go out and learn to work and weed the flower bed. I'm going to get them to do it. And, and, I, and I've, heard, I've heard you, you know, say this a hundred times, like you're, you're one of the biggest proponents that I've ever met on having that skill in kind of your repertoire of skills of sales. Like that, that's kind of a essential skill of an entrepreneur is to be able to persuade, to be able to communicate, to be able to, you know, you're chief evangelist, number one, like it, no one's going to believe in your company more than you believe in your company. Fair. And, you know, you've always kind of promoted that so much in an ecclesiastic environment that a lot of times doesn't kind of, you know, sticks up its nose at sales or looks down on it and kind of looks at some of the more hard skills as more important skills. In the faith that we belong to, the LDS faith, young men are expected to go serve a mission. Yep. I would hold that same expectation for my children to go do summer sales. Which is so great. I mean, you, your daughters went out, sold them, did it, crushed it. And it scared me having them out walking around neighborhoods, 100%. knocking on doors. But that's how strongly I believe in sales, helping all these companies get going. Again, if you've got revenues, we can make everything else yeah. work. 
It's getting to revenue. For sure. And so I think it's a critical skill. First, I'd put it at the very top. If there are sales, one of my, my CLO, my, my chief legal guy years ago, he said, Corbin, you just go sell. I'll clean up behind you. You just keep selling. Yeah. That's point well made. Again, if there are sales, we'll get through, we'll so get through great. everything. So good. Yeah. I think it's an important skill to have. And I love the summer sales industry because it teaches grit. You're dealing with rejection. Well, and, and it's hardcore. It's like, hard it's, work. It's like, and I was actually talking to a kid today after class about it. And he's like, hey, I'm, I'm getting this feedback to go do this internship or I should go do sales. And I was like, I'm never going to tell you what to do. Like, you, you need to follow your heart. You're going to know it's your life. I'm like, what I, what I can tell you is like, he's like, can I learn sales not doing that? I said, absolutely. Like, what I can tell you about summer sales is it's 108 days and it's all in. And for me, I learn the most when I'm fully immersed, when I'm just like, all in, all day, every day. And you just can't fake the reps. If you really believe kind of in this law of the harvest and that you reap what you sow, you, you can't fake that many times getting rejected and that many swings at the bat. That's what I love about it. If you did it one summer, if you did a lot of summers, to really learn that skill set, I don't know of a place where you're just getting more reps, more repetitions in a real environment. I mean, like I want every kid to experience it. Yeah. Just like you want perhaps your kid, if you're of our faith to go on a mission, I think you should equally want them to go out and do a, a year of no, summer sales. So, it's so cool. Um, so go, when was the first time you made money? Like when was the first time where you really like, <laughs> not, not like, you know, 3000 is awesome for college. And yeah. but when was the first time where you're like, Whoa, this is, I went to BYU and I didn't get in easily. I had to take summer just to get in. Yeah. You know, I had really good grades, but I didn't test well. Yeah. Again, ADHD. But I got in and I got there and quite frankly, I got my clock clean. It was hard. It was hard. Yeah. It was a lot more studying than I'd ever done. It was a lot of reading and I I got chewed up by BYU. But I was I was okay. I was sticking it out. I was going to get yep. through. I got back from my mission and I started this window and door business. And the first three to five years were just zero. We managed an apartment complex, so we were able to live for free. And that helped us to get by as we built a name for ourselves. But then we got up and going. And five years in, six years in, I was finally making a six-figure income. Wow. It was a big deal. We had to put everything back into our business, but we were pulling 10 a month. Yeah. And 10 a month in the mid-90s was respectable income. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's when I f- really first got my my first taste of success. Yeah. Was there. It wasn't huge money. We got involved in a a weight loss franchise called um Metabolife. So tell tell me that I've heard this story and I'd love you to retell this story because okay. I think this is a great entrepreneurial story of okay. like I see opportunity, I see a pain. It's just noticing. It's just like paying attention. Being observant. Yep. You must be observant. If you want to be an entrepreneur, eyes open all the time, ears open, nose open. We're just always looking for an opportunity and you're programmed to look for that opportunity. I went on my mission and I served great, but I was always looking. I was in Japan and I was always looking for something I could take back to America. Paying attention. Paying attention. Yeah. Doesn't mean I wasn't devoted to what I was supposed to be doing, but I was looking around for something. 
Well, I'm at Thanksgiving dinner, middle 90s, and a brother-in-law is sitting there at the table talking about this weight loss, this bottle of weight loss pills. This is mid-90s. It's called Metabolife. It was being sold on carts in the middle of the mall. Okay. Go down the middle of the mall and there are carts. And it's one skew, one product. That's all there is. So you can't merchandise it other than a pyramid and a square and, you know, plants around. Tough to screw it up. Yeah. But every morning there's a line of people to buy product, 50 bucks. Well, so I sat there listening to him and then I hear 180,000 per month per cart, $200,000 per month per cart, 250 grand. And I'm like, wait, that's insane. Wait a minute. Like those are crazy numbers. I'm, and your overhead is you know, five grand a month. I'm thinking about these restaurants that we own that it's like, it's a lot of work to make uh-huh. a million bucks of revenue a year. Yeah. You know, so like you're talking crazy two and a half money. million dollars from a cart. So I leave Thanksgiving and I grab my employee, one of my sales guys at the window company. I take him upstairs and I'd gone to the library and gotten this big, um, six, eight inch thick book called Directory of Malls because this was pre-internet. And I set it on his desk and I said, your new job is to go through this. Call every single mall. Ask them, do you have a Metabolife cart? If yes, are you satisfied? Do you want to replace them? If no, can I fax you? There's dating this a little bit. Can I fax you a contract? Let's go. I'll put a Metabolife cart in your mall. Three weeks of grinding and we picked up 17 carts. It's crazy. And that just produced millions of dollars. And I never, never managed it for a day. (laughs) I hired a manager who managed all those employees because those are difficult employees. Those are minimum wage employees. They just don't show up. When they're done, they just don't show up. Yeah, they just stop coming. And when they need some extra money, they take it from the till. Yeah. Those were pre-credit card days where, you know, today we do it all on credit cards. Yeah. Oh, Casey, we probably made three, four, five mil in... Three years. On these carts. And then Metabolife came to us and bought us out and said, we're going to retail. We're going to buy you out. We're going to pay you this much. We're going to pay it over three years. So that was several more million. And it was, a lot of people fought it, but our sales were declining because of the competition. You you saw the trend changing. Metabo burn, Metabo lift, Metabo loss. They were coming out of the woodwork. Yeah. It was well-timed. So it was a crazy little run. But, you know, and for a 20... I don't know, 27, eight, no, I, nine I just, year old. I just think that's like such a profound lesson of paying attention, seeing a trend, taking massive action. Like just those simple ingredients. You, you look at like the outcome of three to five years of not that much work, but like work on the strategy side. Yeah. Like the, the real work was seeing an opportunity, going and getting the book of malls, grinding on sales, you know, having the idea of like, I'm just going to go cold contact everybody and just go fill up every single spot. It's just, I love that story so much. And you, that had to like impacted your trajectory so much. Cause when you make that money early and it gets to compound it, that ends up being the seed capital for everything else that you ended up doing. You know, it's, One thing that I would add on to that that was a profound lesson, and I push this really hard with young people, and this lesson is you need to be a saver. Spenders at the young age, I see a lot of these summer sales kids, and if they'll come back and save and invest, they're going to do great. It just breaks your heart. 
when they're not. When they come home and they buy a fast car, I'm like, no, no, I should have taken your money away from you and and given you an allowance because well-invested, you're going to do great. And the key to that lesson, Casey, was observancy. And number two, we had savings. And so what it took to invest and get that going. You were ready. We were ready. Yep, you were prepped. And if you save, then you can pounce. You can take advantage of those opportunities. And so we did. And so that's another really important takeaway from that. It's a really, really, really good. And I think about the first time that I ever made real money. And I was working at Vivint. It was kind of after the global financial crisis. And I'd gone out and I'd had a really great summer. And I think I had 500,000 of cash in my, like that was my total net worth, but it was doing really well. And I remember going to the gym and I worked out with Todd, who was the owner. There was like a group of us that that was like our ritual, go work out and chat about the business. And it was so fun. Those were like really fun years. And he comes and he says, Hey, one of the other owners is, you know, he's going to sell a third of his equity. Um, guy named Keith that was one of the original founders that was just, he was not as active in the company and was going to sell. And so I remember asking Todd, same thing, just, well, are you going to buy it? He said, no, I'm way, way too deep in it. I'm like, well, could I buy it? He's like, well, I can ask. We went back and talked to Goldman Sachs and they're like, yeah, probably good if employees, you know, have some skin in the game. We don't have to come up with the capital. And so he comes back to me and it, it was like a, because it was a private sale, it was a really good deal. You know, I knew it was a really good value. Felt like I was getting it for about half or a third of what it was worth. And so again, like not too sharp, but sharp enough. I'm 25, 26 saying this is a really good opportunity. Probably the best opportunity I've ever seen in my life, but I had savings. Opportunity knocked and you could capitalize. But this is the craziest part of that story was I remember going, I'm like, who could, I want to go deeper in this deal. So this is like just me, you know, getting creative. And I'm like, who would lend me money to go deeper in this? Like, I'm, I'm not going to see another opportunity. And at that point in my life, now it's like the opportunity this entry comes around every week. But at that point, I'm like, <laughs> I'm never going to see this again. And so I'm like, who would lend me money to go deeper in this? And I'm thinking about it. I'm like, Keith, the guy who's selling it, he would lend it to me. So I go to Keith. I'm like, hey, will you lend money to buy your equity? And he's like, I will, but it'd be like way expensive. I'm like, well, what's expensive? And he's like, 24%. Like, oh man, okay. And so I'm like, I could make about an $8,000 a month payment pretty comfortably at that point. So I'm like, okay, I can borrow 400 grand. So now I've almost doubled, you know, I've got my 500, get another 400. And I go back to Todd and Todd's just like, no, that's way too much. That's so expensive. I'm like, well, what, like, what should I do it for? He's like 12% max. I'm like, well, do you do it at 12? He's like, yeah. Like, sweet. I'll take 800 because it was the same payment. It was like, I have a, now I can get double. You just halved it. And so I literally borrowed eight, put in five. And two years later, they sold the Blackstone for $2 billion. And that was like the, like it changed my life. It was this chunk of capital that came in that ultimately, like when I look back at my, everything I've done, that was the seed capital. That was the accelerant. That was the accelerant. That That started the fire. Look where you are today. But I had that, like you said, because I'd been industrious and I'd saved, I'd I'd created a nest egg that I was ready for that moment. And so really, you know, really good insight on, you got to create it, but you got to keep it. Like if you go 
consume it doesn't do you any good. And it's all proportional. When you're young, they're small deals, but it's opportunity knocking and being able to capitalize yep. on the deal that's the size for you. And then it will grow. And if you'll just follow that pattern, I think it turns out well. It did for you. Yeah. It did for me. But if you're a spender, enjoy your nice car. Yeah. Enjoy your nice watch. That's your reward. That's a bummer of a word by How, how, do, you te- by how do you teach that lesson though? Because it feels like that one's one that I've tried like for all the years that I was with Vivint. I mean, we would literally, it was like mandatory financial literacy training. Because you got these young guys, almost like professional athletes, that go make money for the first time they've ever Good made example. it, and then they just blow it just as fast. They get scammed. They they spend it on stupid stuff. So you're really like trying to get after them. But it feels like I failed more than I succeeded trying to teach that lesson. You know what I mean? I think that the biggest thing is for them to have a goal. It's not a whole lot different than a kid who wants a new remote control car and he's saving up for the car. If there's something out there that they're working toward, and in my world, it tends to be that piece of real estate. Yeah. I push, you know, I push the lesson of, of early real estate Which that's investing the, the, the really best, hard. The best class every single year of the whole course of that financial literacy class I think, you teach. I think every 20, every 19 to 23 year old should be looking to buy their first piece of real estate. Yeah. It should be a duplex or a home with a basement apartment. Yeah live in the basement, rent out the top or rent out both levels. That's what, that's where they should be putting their money. It's safe. It's going to grow. And there's your goal. I want you to work toward that down payment. That's 30 to 50 grand, maybe a little higher in today's world. But with that goal, now all of a sudden I'm saving because I want something and I want something bigger. So I get them locked in on the vision of creating wealth through real estate and that forces them to save. And if they can't, then there's not enough discipline. How long we've we been teaching that class? Is it four years now together? This is my 10, this is 10.5 for me. Well, I'm a lot less, but I think it's four or five four that, together. that I've, I've been doing with you. Yeah. It's fun for me now because I have some years. You can see some and fruits. I've, but I've seen kids do what you teach them to do. Buy their first duplex, live in half put down a little bit, you know, put down two and a half or 5%, you know, be the, you know, occupy it. So you get those good financing terms. And right now it's more expensive to own, but there was a time where it was two and a half, three percent and they're locking in these rates that, you know, anybody who took that advice, it's just serving them so well. So well. And it chews up your cash, which is a good thing. It's like, you actually like you can't spend. Suck, suck it into an asset. And I think back about that, like I just, just investing every dollar that I had was probably my best like defense against myself. And I've seen people, you know, a lot of my friends that made tremendous amount of money over a lot of years and don't have that much to show for it. And I think their lifestyle gets as big as their cash. You know, they just yeah. grow into the lifestyle versus, I've you know, just thing. not having it. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what, what was the best deal you've ever done when you, cause you've done so many at this point, what was the one that you're like, that's the best deal I've ever done in my entire career? Yeah. Hands down. That's gotta be Michi bag. A childhood friend came to me in 2007 and said, Hey, will you take a look at a product? And I was doing some consulting work for a company. I just finished a stint where I'd sold a company 
done my two years and I was done. I'd actually yeah. done three years. I really enjoyed it. Okay, so I stayed with it. them an extra yep. year. Yep. And I was learning a lot from two billionaires. Remarkable circumstances for me to learn and grow within an organization. Yeah, and you were young at that time. You're you're what, 40? I was 40. Yeah. So he, I said, hey, what is it? And he said, it's a handbag. And my first reaction was, you've got to be kidding me. You want to take a handbag to the market. Yeah. I mean, talk about a crowded space. Walmart and Target have... Every imaginable bag on the low end. Yeah. And then you've got Gucci, Prada, Max Mara, all these on the high end. You're going to go try to you penetrate coach that Coach in the middle. Yeah. What, what's your ploy? What's your strategy? Yeah. And he says, can we just sit down? So he comes, he sits down and he shows me this bag. And the pain is, we're always looking for a pain. The pain is women like to change their bag to match their outfit. Yeah. Okay. So, and that's why they have so many bags. Well, if you could change the exterior, then you could leave all your stuff inside. Just change the exterior, put a new exterior on, matches your outfit, out the door you run. Three-second change-out. He showed me that. I just, I didn't get it. But I'm not a woman. I don't carry a handbag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not yet, anyway. And so I I poo-pooed it. I'm just like, ah. He says, come on. But you explain that to me, I would have, I would have been out. Right. I would have been like, this isn't my thing. Same. I've got no expertise. I've got no passion for it. <laughs> you know. So I invited some ladies into the conference room and I said, ladies, I want to show you a product and just, you know, be honest with me. Don't sugarcoat it. Yeah. If you hate it, tell me you hate it. Tell me why. If you love it, tell me you love it. So he pulls this bag out and he says, check it out. What if you could leave all your stuff in your bag and just change the exterior? He takes one off, he grabs a new one, and he puts it on. Four ladies sitting around that table. And they said, do that again. So he pulls another one out of his gym bag. First class presentation. Brighton Bengals gym bag. Pulls another one out, slaps it on. That was it. Those ladies grabbed the bag and said, what else is in here? And they start changing it out. They were just going through it. Love this. Oh, look at this one. Ugh, not this one. Look at this. Oh my God. That's and so you're, cool. You're watching it. It's and just, I just, a, it's just observing. To, I just stood off to the side and thought, okay, this is, this is all I need to see. The amount of energy right here. Yeah. It's, it's real. It's not manufactured. It's like there's real excitement yep. around this product. So I take it home. My family's all in the home. My dad is literally dying. He had pancreatic cancer and he was winding down. So the family's all around. And I ask my mom and I ask my sister-in-law about the product. And both looked at it and said, that's hokey. No way. Because again, they're higher end clients. Yeah. They, they're not going to carry that bag. My mom did. Actually, both of them did. But initially they said no. Yeah. But for middle America, it couldn't have been a better fit. It just, it, which is the biggest market. It's so that like, was 2007. We launched on 07, 07, 07 in a mall. And we're off to the races. Not immediately. We had plenty of challenges in year one, but... At the beginning of year two, it skyrocketed. We grew dramatically. So give me like numbers. So first year we did just under 200 grand. Okay. Lots of manufacturing problems, just failures and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. 
But the second year, we did $7.7 million. Wow, big jump. $29 million the next. $76 million the third. And you're carrying like what type of EBITDA margins on this? Is it? Significant. 15 plus percent. Wow, so real. So the last year we did $76 million. We made $12 million EBITDA. Wow. Sold the business. Now, this was consumer goods. So we didn't quite get the multiples that tech or... Um, medical will get, but yeah. we got an 8X. And so we sold for nine figures. It's amazing. But we did that in three and a half years. Wow, like soup to nuts exit. And we did it during the Great Recession. And had fun doing it, right? Like, didn't didn't you just have a riot? I've never company? had so much fun. People ask me and I'm I'm not bashful at all. I carried a handbag around everywhere I went. And chicks would say, you're carrying a handbag. And I would sell it. And I had fun carrying a handbag and selling it. And they laughed and I laughed and it was genuinely fun. People That's enjoyed so cool. it. Yeah. I, I miss it. I thought it was such a blast. No, you lit it on fire. I, I, I remember those stories and cause you were like CEO, like you, you ran it. Ambassador. Your, your, I was your, CEO and ambassador. Your, your, your family was involved. Your, you know, your kids were like, it was, you know, a family affair. My kids were up on stage with me. They were very much a part. The, the consumer base loved my kids and my family and it was social media was just getting started so they couldn't attack too much and yeah. get too personal yeah that was just revving up so it was right right before those days yeah we just had a great time yeah helped mold my kids and shape their lives they played a role it was super cool no really 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 cool what's the worst deal you've ever done wow it's interesting because the first one that comes to mind, I loaned this guy money to build a home up in uh, south end of Salt Lake Valley. And he took my money and built a different home with it. And the betrayal that I felt, so I only lost 250 grand, but it was the betrayal. It just burned you. It burned me. Yeah. I just can't, be- I, I was naive and I just couldn't believe somebody would do that to another person. And so... I was tempted to take him for fraud and stuff. Fraud though. Like yeah, he, straight he, just, fraud. he just stole your money. So I thought of turning him into the district attorney and so forth. And I just thought it wasn't worth my energy. And I moved on. I got the property and I got some of my money back. And then the investment deal that was the worst is I went after a supplements company and I really believed in it. It was uh, plant-based supplements and it had a unique element to selling. And I thought, okay, this is different. We all take supplements and we take them faith-based. You don't know if that supplement is doing you any good. Yeah, It's you live 10 years longer, but there's not empirical data that says this pill is benefiting me right now. In most cases, it's a faith thing. Well, this was a deal where we could test metrics with your body that would tell you Things are changing. How it's It's improving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I thought, oh, finally, this is good. About a year into it, the state said, you can't do that. You're practicing medicine. Mm. Shut it down. So the product was fantastic. Like the product product. market fit, completely validated. It was just, you got into regulatory stuff. Yeah, 650 grand evaporated. And you know, I don't usually go in 650 unless it's property. And so I went in heavy. I was a believer. And so that one stung. That's probably my greatest loss. Um, so those are two that, boy, insane. I didn't even which, have to think about. Which is insane because you've done so many deals. Like it's like insane that you've managed 
downside. But you know, I hate failure. Yeah, you just don't like it. Failure eats away at me. And I just, I don't do failure well. But, but you like, I see that so different. Like I think about like the ones that I've just got whooped on. Like I had a guy that literally stole money from me. My mentor wrote him a check and he stole it. Like never made an interest Ouch, payment. Right. <laughs> but I'm like, that was the best hundred grand I've ever spent in my entire life. Yeah. I'm so glad I did that at 23 years old instead of 53. Amen. You know what I mean? Like that I could get that lesson on when you lend money, you get it documented with an attorney and you get collateral and you get three to one ratio plus of collateral Amen. to, you know what I mean? It's like somebody can tell you that you learn it when you lose. Right. You know what I mean? And so it's like, I look back at those. I'm like, I don't, you know, bless, yep. bless the dude's heart. I'm with you. You didn't graduate from college, right? Nope, nope, I didn't. So here we sit. We are professors teaching entrepreneurism at BYU as non-grads, which I don't think is fraudulent in any way, because my wall of diplomas dwarfs any grad, most Yo. any graduate. Yo. Eight exits that are substan- most of them substantial, those are diplomas. The, the exits are diplomas, but the failures, yeah. the amount you learn when you fail. I think you learn more. I do too. Like failure is, and, and it is true because walking was a process of failure. Yeah. We fail as we were trying to learn to walk and yeah. that's where it started. Life is about it. I think today's young person is so afraid of failure. And we're to blame. Parents of today are to blame. Well, they're helicopter. You, 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 you want to protect them from everything. And I did the same. Yeah. I didn't want my kids to be hurt. Yeah. But what a disservice because my dad, oh, he was just hurtful sometimes. Yeah. You know, it was harsh growing up. Yeah. But he prepared me for the world. And my argument is our young people aren't prepared for the world. Yeah. Great book, Comfort Crisis. I listened to it about, I don't know, six, eight, nine months ago. And it's just this talk about, hey, you know, we talk about doing 30 minutes of cardio three times a week and we think we're heroes. Our forefathers, forefathers, they had to forage for their food. Every they day. did cardio when they were awake. Yeah. It, the whole day was cardio as they sought food. Yeah. It's just interesting the comfort crisis that we find ourselves in, and and the young people are the are getting the short end of that stick. Yeah, I mean it, it's a it's a symptom of abundance. You know, you you take the abundance that we live in. I think about that all the time. I'm like, to live in twenty twenty three, like iPhone access to any expert on any topic at any time at the palm of your hand. We're living longer than we've ever lived. We live better than we've ever lived. Like to be able to get on a plane and fly to Europe or Asia or didn't have to trek like, across the plains. It's, it's did crazy. We? Like freeze to death. The entire whatever. history of the world and how long it's been around. And like today we just get all of that. So that's the good. The, the, the bad is like, People can hide. And I think parents, like, 
it's really hard. It's hard to see your kid struggle. You don't want to see, you kids know what I mean? Have, like it's yeah. so painful for so you, you to you see. So you step in and we should be stepping in less. Yeah, we should be stepping in less. Uh, honestly, that was the thing that I loved so much about summer sales is it was so hard and it was so personal that there, there is no, no one can do it for you. Scrape yourself off the ground. And it, it was just like this, like emotional muscle that you have to earn. But the people who earned it, they were so proud and yeah. they had so much confidence. And then you, even if they did it one summer, two summers, you see them just go and they have like this muscle, this like, when you talk about being scared of failure, when you've just got your teeth kicked in so many times, you don't care anymore. Like, you know, when you, you, you've broken a bone, you're not scared of breaking bones. You've already done it. It's like the, the bad's not that bad, you know. I've got a great story for you. Jessica was out selling and she would call me most mornings. She would be dropped off on a street corner and she would call me and say, Dad, I need a pep talk. It was so scary for her starting that day and going up to that first door. She called and said, Dad, help me get going. I thought that was so incredible that how real the fear was, but that she was ready to tackle it. And we talked to we talked through it. And she's walking to the door and she goes, Here I go. We love her like special kid. Yeah. I mean, she served our kids. She teaches at our kids school and she's loved our kids, you know, and, and it's hard not to love people that love your kids. And so like, we love Jessica, but the second piece is like, this is one of the reasons that I admire you is that you had all the means and the resources not to have your kids have that experience. You could have sheltered them from that very easy. You could have paid for their school. You could have and you didn't, you like chose and you and Kara chose to let them go have pain. And that's really hard. Like that's a, that's, that's hard to do. And, you know, I'm, I'm taking this as like lessons that I need to, I need to do this stuff. Like my kids are young enough and I'm having these lessons and I just need to let them fail more. Should be a prescription for today's adults, for today's I, parents, I need to. parenting. Yeah. Kids have to experience failure. So they're prepared for the world. Yeah. Because the world's full of failure. And it's hard. Like the world's like a nasty, hard place. So like be you, prepared for hard. Yeah. We don't need to be afraid of it. Yeah. Just know what it tastes like and how to deal with it. Yeah. That's all. Yeah. How do I deal with it when it comes? There's no such thing as a life without failure and without pain. Yeah. Doesn't exist. So better to teach them how to deal with it than shield them from it. So, so uh, walk me through this. Uh, what fires you up? Like, People that don't have money, I think they think when I get money, then I'll be happy or like, you know, this is going to, but you've had it for a long time. You've had it from, you know, like what, what lights you up? Like what get, like when you think about it, you're just like, this is my purpose in life. This is, this is like what gets me. That's a complicated question. Two things came to my mind when you asked that question, Casey. The first one that came to mind was I love to kill it. I love getting a kill. I'm not a hunter. So my kill is closing a great deal. You love doing deals. Yeah. I love doing deals and I love selling businesses. Yeah. That's what gets me out of bed and I fly out of bed every morning. I don't lay in bed. You love the game. I'm ready to play. Yeah. But 
I think the most rewarding thing I've ever done in my life is to work with young adults. What you and I do over there, working with people, the mentoring, the one-on-one mentoring where there's nothing in it for me. The young people we've taught to buy a piece of real estate who now have three and four and five and six doors. Some kid spoke in my class the other day. He has over two dozen doors and he's not 30 years old. I mean, there's a, wow. there's a kid that actually asked me randomly for your number today. He's going to have you come be on his podcast. It's a kid named Zach Anderson. He sent me a message. But, but, but I think about him when you're describing that. And I was like, Zach was a 16-year-old that was stocking my fridge. Literally, he was stocking my fridge. He's like this 6'5", gangly, long hair, you know, stocking my fridge. And he started, he, he was like a sponge. He was so hungry. So I'd give him a book and I'd say, hey, I'll pay you, you know, 200 bucks if you read this book. And I do that with a ton of kids. You do. Most people don't read them. Like 90% give them one book. They never come back. They never finish the first one. I'll bet he's finished 50 over the last five. And he's making like close to seven figures now. He's like, went, got into door to door. He's, you know, but he's a different human. Like when you see him, his confidence, his, and, and I, it's when you talk about like the satisfaction of seeing, cause it, you can't help somebody that doesn't want to be helped, but the ones that want to be helped, you can help them a lot. You know what I mean? Like, but we take our class and there's, there's the kids who want to do it. Yeah. And then there's all those who just haven't caught the vision. Yeah. They're still going through the motions. That first group, It's just exciting. Yeah. And what you've done with your book thing. I know I've talked to so many young people who have taken your book challenge and run with it. You've changed people's lives with that. And there was nothing in it for you. It cost you 225 bucks with the cost of the book. No, I think the real cost last year was like 68 grand. Yeah. Per kid. Like like real cost to that. Per young person though. Yeah. And when we do that and there's nothing in it for us. I that's the real reward. But it, it truly is. It's like, it, the, there's nothing more magic than, and I, I think, you know, my dad did it with me and it's even more humbling looking back now, realizing my dad didn't have a ton of extra money. He was a real estate agent with seven kids. Wow. He was paying me a hundred bucks a book. This is 1990s. Like in today's dollars, that's like four or 500 bucks. And, and I remember he's given me how to win friends and influence people, the richest man in Babylon, the magic mm-hmm. of thinking big, seven habits. And I'm like, I'm a young kid and I'm getting these ideas that are, you know, I can't think of my life today wasn't like wildly influenced by these ideas when I'm 14, 15, 16, 17 Absolutely. years old. And so, yeah, like when you're describing, you know, that's the most meaningful, I, you know, I, I would agree. We do all this other stuff and it's fun and we fly out of bed for it, but rewarding working with young people. Well, I think there's times and seasons in life too. And you're kind of getting into this time and season where like you have this time to teach. Like it's, you're not trying to do your first startup. You've done a lot of them. You're not trying to do your first exit. You've done a lot of them. You're not doing your first investment. You've done a lot of them. So you actually have like a lot of miles under the tires. And so when somebody comes with this idea, there's actually like a lot of like good wisdom that you can share, you know, if somebody wants to like listen to it. So I think it's this 
perfect combo of one, you caring enough to do it. And then two, being available. Yeah, that's really special. Talk, talk to me about Kara. Like you guys, you know, I, I look at, you're, you're how old? 54. So a great blessing in my life. I've got friends that are 10 and 15 years older than me and that are like our best friends. You know, we vacation with them. We always have, like I, I moved into my neighborhood in the Berkshires when I was 27. Wow. And everybody was 15 years older. And so we just got like this opportunity to go spend time with people that had kids that were 10 years older than us and had right. marriages and like, again, being observant. I look at people that have like really great marriages and I've always looked at you and Kara and be like, you guys love each other. Like you can see it. Like when you guys are together, you're holding hands and you're kissing and you're like passionate. And I'm, you know, talk to me about like that relationship and how important it's been and your journey and just kind of how that fits. Cause I know, you know, we know she's special, but you can physically see yeah. that you guys care about each other. So you hear the cliche, she's my rock. But in this circumstance, it's literal. She's my foundation. I'm off creating and I have a focus on money. Yeah. When I was 20 year, 21 years old, I set a goal. I wanted to be a millionaire by the time I was age 30 and I wanted to be retired by the time I was age 40. I didn't know why I set those goals. Somebody forced me to set goals and that's what they were. Yeah. Today, those aren't goals that I'd say I'm really proud of, but that tells you something about me. I've always been pretty worldly focused. I've been pretty monetarily focused. And so to have Kara in my life who is truly a spiritual giant. She's the leader of our family. Now, that's quite a statement. In our male society, you think, wow, no, Kara's the leader no, of but our I, family. I, I mean, I could say the exact same thing. Kara like, raised our girls. Chels runs our house like a business. Uh-huh. Like she's My incredible. daughters, you said a moment ago, your daughters are so remarkable. Hats off to Kara. Yeah. She raised those girls while I was off building businesses. Yeah. That's the cold, hard reality. And so I cannot give enough props to my wife for the person that she is. She will compare herself to me and look at my exits and look at my, all the things I've got going on and say, I don't measure up. And I think, no, this is the one time where you have your priorities out of order because what you've accomplished measures so much greater than what I've accomplished. I don't think that's a Kara thing. I think that's a women thing. I do like, too. Like I, I, you know, my wife right now, she's kind of going through that where I wouldn't say it's a midlife crisis, but we're deep. We've got five kids. She's been going at it for a while. And I think there's kind of this like, I want to go do something out there beyond like this. I know this is important, but I like... I like, let me warn you. Yeah. You know, it's It's not going to get better for Chels because they've been their full-time job and it's by far the more difficult job. It's so thankless is raising your children. And so we're now empty nesters and poor Kara is asking the question that Chelsea, she's just feeling it. I want to do something else, but where she was so busy before with children and the household, she doesn't have that busy aspect anymore. Yeah. And she's like, 
She's asking questions and she's filling it. And I feel so badly for her because she's diminishing her accomplishment. And that can't happen. Yeah. Because what she's accomplished is so good. When it's thankless. Thankless. Like we, we, we're in like Houston for the holiday. We've got these two little guys and they are an absolute terror right now. Like they're, they're, it, it is like. Admirable task. You I, guys I, took on. I look, I look away and it's grabbing the cat and throwing it down the stairs. And you're just like, what are you doing? Like, stop. You know what I mean? Like, and it's nonstop. And you're yeah. just like, I, I don't know how these like amazing women do what they do. Cause it, it truly is like thankless work. To answer your question. We just were the best of friends. I think to dive deeper on that, like, have you guys kept the passion in your relationship? Because I know that that's like a core thing and you can like physically see it. You can see that you guys like love each other. You don't like each other. You're not best friends that, you know, hang out together. You guys are like, you love each other. Like what, what processes, what systems over the course of your marriage have you kind of put in place to make sure that you always put each other first and that you like keep the relationship growing, you know what I mean? Not getting stagnant, not going backwards. Yeah. But in fairness, those circumstances exist where relationships stagnate. I wouldn't say go backwards, but there are high, there are valleys and there are peaks. Yeah. And even we go through those. You look at somebody's relationship and you think everybody's got a perfect relationship because from the outside, that's what it looks like. We have a marvelous relationship and we work at it. Yeah. It takes a lot of effort. Yeah. I will give her once again most of the credit because she has a passive personality. I don't. Yeah, you're 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 no, I'm all type go A all the time. All yeah. red, all go. Yeah. And her type A personality makes it easy for us to get along yeah. well because she lets a lot of things go. Yeah. And I'm probably not the easiest guy to be married to because I'm I'm always going yeah. somewhere. But look, we get together for fa- for our prayers every single night. We hold hands. We do a lot together. People say, "Yeah, we reserve Friday nights for dates." We spend most evenings together. You got you got We just, snuggle up, we watch movies, yeah. we play games. She searches out two-person games and we're playing all these great games. We just found crud the other day. It's a riot. We're having such a fun time playing crud. We do a lot together. That's cool. She is my friend. I don't go out with guys and stuff. I, I hang out with my wife. No, it's it's like, it's always been something that I've admired. It's like instantly noticeable when you guys come around. You know Thanks. what I mean? You can see chemistry and, you know, and again, we have like so many models of great friends. And I, and I think about that a lot. Like, I think ultimately, like even this podcast, it's trying to identify success and not just success, but excellence and say, who does something like really well. And you think about like even marriage today as an institution and it's like 50% at best that are staying together. At best, You know what I mean? At, yeah. at, at best. And then you take the ones that stay together and you're like, are you really happy? Like, do you have intimacy? Are you passionate? Are you like, is it special or is it kind of just getting by? You know what I mean? Yeah. And it, but there are people that have tons of passion and intimacy and magic and they do things different than everybody else. And I think that's something that me and Chels, you know, we work hard at it. So like we, we, we put in a ton of work to try to have a special marriage. You know what I mean? It takes effort. And if you think it's going to come easy, no. And a lot of people we know 
thought the grass was greener on the For other sure. side. Yep. And they got on the other side of the fence and they were sorely disappointed. Yep. Work at what you've got. Yeah. And you're going to be happier. 32.75 years later, I can prove it. Well, that's a big deal. I mean, yeah. we're, we're, we're 18 yeah. and we've been going. 32 is a lot. 32, going on 33, and we're really happy. Yeah. We're committed to each other. And we are. We're very touchy. We're holding hands. Yeah. We've got our arms around each other out in public. Which I think matters. When like, we were uh, dating, I got in a lot of trouble for that. The PDA discussions happened weekly Yeah, when we were dating. I was reprimanded for my PDA. But there's something I brought to the relationship. It's small, but I brought something. I mean, I, I think it matters a lot. I do too. Like I, I think. I think it matters a lot to our female companions. That we show that. I think it matters to our kids. Like it does. I want my kids to see that I love their mom and like I can't get enough of their mom. And like, like, oh, you that's know what, what I mean? they're going to be if you do For it. For sure. Like, I, I want to model, like, hey, this is like really awesome to like be completely in love with the person yeah. that you're marrying. And, and if you don't have this, like, don't get married because like it's hard enough without it. You now, know what see, I mean? Ba, that's true of every other aspect of yeah. our relationship too. Yeah. We are, when we talk about being examples to our children, that's in every aspect. What we just talked about, holding hands, showing kindness and intimacy and all those things are showing our children how to treat a spouse. And our children will be products of what we teach. Yeah. So for better or for worse, if you see the yellow light and you hit the gas, everybody in the back seat was just taught Yellow means speed up. We yep. got to get through. Yep. It doesn't mean slow down. It's about time to stop. Yeah. Everything we do in life is teaching the young people that are watching us so carefully. Yeah. And so how we treat our wives, that will go a long ways with our children. Yeah. Uh, talk about your faith. Okay. It's same thing. You know, it, it's kind of these same categories of, you know, it's still important to you. It is. And it's stayed important and it's grown with you. Like how, how do you, how does faith fit in the entrepreneurial journey? How does it f fit in how you think about raising kids and your family? Like where, where does that sit? Like for, for you personally and how has it influenced decisions you've made? So uh, this happens to be the Monday after Thanksgiving that you and I are sitting down and I expressed a lot of, I'm a grateful person. I express gratitude on a very regular basis. My nightly prayers are nothing but prayers of gratitude. Yeah. I don't ask for anything. Yeah. I just go through an inventory with my Heavenly Father and thanking Him. Yeah. And right now, I can look at Gaza and Israel and Ukraine and Africa and so many conflicts, and I ask myself, Casey, why was I born to Carl and Lynn Church in Salt Lake City? With faith in my life, I didn't have to go find it. Yeah. In a middle-income home where I never went for out without, yeah. I was taught to work. I was taught to be a good person. Why? Now, by contrast, why was this young child born to a single mother who was addicted to something in some impoverished country. Yeah. Why? Yeah. And so, you know, I'm just really lucky to have faith in my life. I'm, 
Would I meet with the missionaries if they knocked on my door? Probably not. Just because of who you are, just kind of your like strong personality. I would not. I, I, you know, and so Kara's my faith cohort. She's the stronger part of us by far. But I'll tell you this. I don't have the testimony that Kara has. I don't have the testimony that a lot of people around me have. But this is what I do have. I believe. Yeah. I don't know everything. But too many people think they need to have an answer to everything. Yeah. I would rather be in my shoes than their shoes. I don't have to have every question answered. Consider me like a child. I like the teachings for the children better than I like the teachings for the adults because I like simplicity when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to faith. I don't want to talk about LDS and and members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. For me, it's about faith. My faith, it's Latter-day Saint. That's what I associate with. That's where my base comes from for goodness. Yeah. That's where my teachings come from. And it's awesome. It's provided me a life that is solid. Yeah. Would I give it up? No chance. Do I believe every single aspect? No, I can't. Yeah. It's too much for me. Yeah. But I'm, I can't say I'm all in. That might not be fair, but I'm in deep. Yeah. And I love it. I don't embrace everything because I don't get everything. Yeah. But on the simplistic aspects, oh, I I embrace it. I love it. Uh, I've got a great book for you. Falling Upward. Have you ever heard of it? No, never heard of it. I just read this. And it was one of the most profound books I've read recently. And I finished and I started it again. Is that good? I got to the last chapter and I was listening to it and I pressed play and I started it again. It is written by a Catholic priest, and he just lays it out. He just talks about how important it is to have God in your life, to have a Savior, to teach you, to guide you, to mentor you. It is the coolest book, and it it resonated with me. I could click, and I just thought, yeah, because I have faith in my life, I'm a better person, and I'm so grateful that I was born with it. Yeah. I don't know if I would have accepted it. Yeah. And yeah, faith is really important to me. And I'm sad because I have so many business partners. And I think that when you're successful, a lot of people set faith aside because uh, the cliche, I've got more money than God. They might actually believe that. They don't need God anymore. Yeah. And I think that's sad because... They'll let one thing come along in their faith, whatever it might be, and they'll get caught up on that one aspect. And it throws them. Throws them. Yeah. And then comes the throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. If you, well, that's stupid. We don't stop driving cars because cars get in accidents. Yeah. So I don't get the whole thing, but it's good. Why throw it all away? Yeah. What did you replace it with? Yeah. I'm really happy with what I have, and I believe it's my rock. It's my basis. It's it's my foundation that keeps me growing and being successful Yeah, because it's taught me integrity. It's taught me charity. It teaches me to give and to help other people. And in the end, 
I think it's loving our fellow man that we're going to be judged upon yeah. more than anything else. I agree. How did you treat your fellow man? And that's what drives me. I And I, I have my faith to be, I have that because I have my faith and I'm grateful for that. Yeah. Did that answer, was that? No, I, I think it's so profound. I think it, it resonates with me because my faith is very simple as well. Like I, you know, don't get caught up in too many things. Like I, for me, it's more working, not working, functioning, not functioning. And I look at kind of the outcomes that I get from having this structure and like guardrails and having kind of, yeah, the structure in my life. And I, it, it adds a tremendous amount of value. Like I, I value going to church with my family. I value them seeing that, you know, that faith is important to us. I value praying with my family every single day and them seeing that, Hey, we, this matters to us, you know, and us like showing gratitude on a daily basis and thinking of others and how we can help, how we can help them and how we can keep them in our prayers. You know what I mean? Like these like physical symbol. I like when my kids see me and Chelsea, praying, you know, like I, it's that same example that you're talking about of like your kids learn, you know, that's what's what you important. do, not what you say. Like Amen. it's, it's the physical actions. And, and so I really value it, you know, like, do I love going to church? Not that much. Like I, would I prefer staying home and watching like football <laughs> instead of going to church? Like, yes, almost every week. Yeah. But I go to church. Like sometimes it's good to do things that it's you don't tough. always want to do. Yeah. But I can say, like, I find more spirituality personally from business than I do from church. I find a tremendous amount of spirituality in serving people and, you know, creating value and, you know, trying to change lives and add value. Like I, that for me and the growth, the personal growth that comes from it. That latter part of what you just said, I find spirituality in serving other people. Yeah. That's what drives me. That's where I feel the spirit. That's, That's where I'm to God. closest to yep. God yep. is when I'm serving somebody else. I just, I can't get enough of it. And especially at this stage of my life, I'm probably not about to die. But as I get into this latter stage of life, it's really more about serving others. Yeah. And it's less about me, I hope. So Tony Robbins, like, it's so funny because out of anybody that's like added more spirituality to my life than almost anybody else. It's that man. Really? Just so crazy. But he put some language around it that is really profound to me. He talks about these six human needs. And he basically says, all of us, we have these needs. Everybody has them. You have the need for certainty. Like we need to know that like, you know, when I, my job is going to be there when I wake up, that the, that there's laws that when I get in my car, that Somebody's going to be dry, you know, so there's this need for certainty. Yeah. There's also a need for uncertainty. Like if we do the same boring thing every single day, we're like, go crazy. So it's balancing like this need for like, I want to try new things with like, it needs to be consistent. And some people are driven to certainty and it drives their career decisions. It drives, you know, they salary and benefits and insurance like literally that certainty keeps them from opportunities because it matters so much. But he talks about these other needs of like love and connection that all of us have it. Like we all desire to have love and connection and then also significance. Mm-hmm. Like 
when we get recognized, when you get the entrepreneur of the year award or somebody gives you a trophy or it feels good. We, we crave it. Like all of us, you know, and you look at these social media platforms, they built some of the most valuable companies in the world out of this human need of significance. Yeah. But then he talks about these two super needs and, and his philosophy is that to have true fulfillment in life, that you have to be satisfying these needs at a high level. And this is his definition of spirituality and actually makes so much sense to me because I feel the same way. He says the two super needs are growing when you're growing a lot, when you're challenged, when you're learning, you think about going on a mission, you think about starting a business like these like painful growing environments where you're just, you know, you're growing so much and how engaged you are. And then the second is contribution or service. Like when you have deep service Interesting. and deep growth, that his philosophy is that that's where you find maximum fulfillment or max, maximum spirituality. And when I kind of put that frame around my life, I felt the closest to God when I was on my mission. And it was learning Spanish. It's working with another companion. It's, you know, serving people all day, every day. And I think that's, it was a lot of growth and a tremendous amount of service. And that's why it meant so much to me. But that was the first time where I kind of understood with business. This is why I feel the way I feel about business because it's challenging me. And I'm like, I'm learning new, like finance terms and leadership terms and business terms and industries and marketing, you know, so it's all constant growth. But then the second one is the human side of it, building a business and changing lives and serving and mentoring and coaching and That's it. challenging and like how meaningful that is to you. And you, when you say like, hey, Michi Bags, you know, I miss it. We had so much fun. It was because you were, one, you were growing so much and the company was growing. And then second, you think about the lives that you're changing and you're serving and you're impacting then you bring that into the amount of households you were feeding. It's crazy. It's, you know, it's, it's like, anyway, so that, you know, that to me, that business is a spiritual game. And like the, you know, what it's really about is people, it's humans and it's serving and it's, you know, so I don't see much separation between any of it. It's like, and then if you look at what we're doing at BYU, I think that's a special age group younger than that. Their brains just aren't developed enough. They're not quite grasping yeah. things. Yeah. Beyond that, they're focused on families and developing lives. We've got this 19 to 24, 25-year-old so age group. They're yeah. so moldable. Yeah, so teachable. They're so passionate and willing and wanting to learn. And a bit naive, which yeah. I think matters. Like, I think to start that journey, you kind of have to be. like. But that's special. That's yeah. where you can give... And it's probably going to make more of a difference yeah. than most anywhere yep. else. Not that, you know, a 10 to 16 year old kid doesn't need that, Yeah, but it's more just keeping them in line where this group, oh, you're helping them mold their future and they want help. Who, who was that person for you at that age that was a mentor for you? Like when you go back and you say this leader believed in me more than I believed in myself. You're talking about these billionaires or you're yeah. talking about who, who was the leader that you said, man, this person influenced me the most. Yeah. As a young man, 
number one's my father, but you're looking for outside the household. I know that, but my dad put so much belief in me, encouraged me on. He was that guy. Yeah. But outside of my dad, and I have to put him on a platform way above anybody else, but I had young men leaders like Mike Alder, who just really took me by the hand and guided me down the path and uh, really remarkable people in my life. Awesome people. When I started my first business, guy out of Grand Junction, Colorado named Jim Chapman. Okay. I mean, Casey, when I was 21 and started this business, I looked like I was 12. You're a baby. Yeah. Yeah. I just, people are handing me $50,000 deposit checks in the mid nineties. It was a lot of money. And like, really? You're handing a a kid your $50,000 deposit check? I looked young. Wow. And Jim believed in me and he said, we can do this. I'll help you. We can do it. It's an older guy. I don't even know if he's still alive, but it just meant a lot to me. That's so cool. Special guy in my life. And I don't think he knows it. I don't know that, you know, it's been a lot of years and I just need him to know. You made a difference for this. That's really, I I see this common theme of, it's almost like that parable of the sower, where it's like you have these seeds, but when it hits that fertile soil, you know, those same seeds in different soil and you just don't get much, but when it hits that fertile soil and I think about myself and I think about like all the different tracks I could have gone, you know, I was from Logan. The only reason I ended up in Utah County was to go play baseball and I got cut from the baseball team. I'm like, (laughs) you know, you just like, how did this happen? How did I end up here? But I think about Todd Peterson and Alex Dunn and these two guys that I'm 24 years old. I just lost everything. You know, company goes bankrupt, owner of the company steals my money, lose everything. And these two guys at this impressionable age that you're talking about, they believed in me so much. Hmm. And it just, it like made me believe in myself. And I, I, to this day, you know, I'd run through a wall for those two. This it's 16, 17 years later, but they changed my life. And I, I, I think about that age and I'm like, man, that that's, I don't know what I would have done without those two. You know what I mean? Yep. And and that's what you're doing right now. Like, and even some of these new projects, I don't know if you're ready to talk about it, but like some of these new projects that you're working on, they're going to do that. They're just going to change so many lives. And I think, I think, you know, when, when you say, Hey, Casey, you know, what is Corbin's legacy going to be? I think it's the next chapters. I don't think it's the seven companies. I don't think it's any of that. I think the next chapters are really going to be your legacy on kind of the impact that you make on the world and how people are going to remember you. I hope what I'm working on now is of great significance. I hope it changes a lot of people's lives. I hope you can see the difference of this project in Utah County 50 and a hundred years from now. I'm I'm completely certain of it. Like I, I I, I, I don't even wonder. I, I just know just based off what I've experienced with you, like that BYU class is a great case study and I see it all the time. I mean, I, I, I see, you know, when I see you at a game and I just see kid after kid after kid come and find you and just tell you how much that class meant to them. And I think, you know, some of these other things that you're doing are, they're just going to be fantastic. So I'm so excited to see that next chapter. Thanks brother. You know, I don't want the trophies. I don't want the accolades, but listening to you talk about Todd and Alex, I think that's the best trophy of all. Somebody put their faith in you and molded you and you turned into Casey Bob. No, these guys changed my life. You know, any, anything that I'm doing is paying it forward. 
for my dad doing those book clubs. It's trying to pay it forward. Yeah. It's from a Todd and an Alex, you know, mentoring me and believing in me. I'm like, I want to do that for as many kids as I can do it for till I can't walk. Amen. Because I think that's like ultimately like when you're on your deathbed, it's like what matters at that point? And it's not going to be the seven companies and it's not going to be your bank account. It's going to be the lives that you touched. Amen. I do think that the companies are a part of that journey. Those are the lives that you touched. You know what I mean? Those are examples of lives that got changed. You talked about getting cut from the baseball team. Go back and look at that pathway yep. and how we got to where we are and all the things that happened along the way. Each company, it's a stepping stone in that pathway. Yeah. But are they the most meaningful? No chance. Yep. I don't even think about those much Yeah, anymore. you're over it. I'm over yeah, you're, it. You're on to the next journey. You asked about money earlier. I don't know that I've ever seen the money as mine. Yeah. You've always kind of, so talk a little bit about that. And I, I think maybe that's where we end today. Talk a little bit about that, like that principle of stewardship and yeah. kind of. You know, I always believed we, we got all this money. You've had these big wires that come in and it's like, wow, but we didn't run out and spend it. Yeah. And today we give the vast, when we have an exit today, 50% of it is put into a DAF pre-exit. So you're, you're, it's gone. It's how you give it. Yeah. It's gone. And then we divide it from there. And, you know, I just, I've never felt like the money was mine. Yeah. I felt like it was God's and God has to have a steward on earth yeah. to distribute. And I just felt like he placed that here and said, all right, I'm going to need you to go place this some places. Yeah. I never felt like it was mine. And I didn't ever spend it like it was mine. Yeah. I don't know. It's just, I don't know where that came from. It was just inside. I mean, I, 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 I've always felt that personally that, you know, my life is a stewardship. You know, my talents, like nothing that I have is that is mine. And I think, I think about like that parable of the talents. Yeah. And like at some point I'm going to have to go back and account for what I've been given. And was it, you know, was the purpose to just go like light it up and live as big as I can live or is the purpose to like change as many lives as I can go change, you know, and I, I, it's gotta be the second, it's gotta be the second or there's going to come a time where I have to account and it. And also I, I think it like, yeah, money is a magnifier of who you are. Like it, it's not good or bad, you know, but it definitely like accentuates your ability to do what you want to go do in life. You know, totally agree. A lot better to have it than not have it. <laughs> yeah. Too many kids come in and they want to be wealthy and they want to go back to Guatemala where they serve their mission and help this village. Well, that's hard for a student living on, you know, eating top ramen every yep. day. Like, let's go, let's go build something and then let's use some of our resources to go back to Guatemala and yep. help out all in due time. Yeah. I, I think it's special when you don't think that you're, Okay, I'm going to go back to the beginning. You asked me, how did you become an entrepreneur? Where did the sales ability come from? And I said, innate. So then where did it come from? Yeah, it came from God. You know, it was a you, gift. Yeah. And if I'm arrogant, thinking I'm the greatest salesman in the world, I'm the greatest businessman or entrepreneur in the world, that's a mistake. But, but, but I think that with that stewardship comes the responsibility to develop those gifts. 
Like all of us, you know, played with the kid in sports that was the best kid on the team, mm-hmm. but didn't put in the work. Came easy. Yeah. And, and ended up getting passed up and kind of squandered the gift. And I think about that a lot. And I'm like, you know, I just want to look back and say, I did the best that I could. Like I worked as hard as I could. I put in real effort every day. I, I left nothing on the field. And, you know, that I think is what makes me really proud of my life up until this point is I feel like I've done the best that I can. You know, I've, I've, I've like, I've gone for it. You know what I mean? I haven't like, there's no skid marks. It's, yeah. it's, it, you know, even I the failures, leave anything I, on the even table. the failures have been like kind of glorious failures. You know what I mean? It's like, I think I'm going to work right up until the end. I don't think and there's I hope better. it's in service. Yeah. I hope I'm just helping somebody start a business and they're getting going when I fall over. Brother, I've, I've loved chatting with you. Hopefully this first of many. Can't wait to. Kinda, I love you. You're doing great yeah. stuff. I appreciate our friendship and all you and Chelsea do in the community. Th- thank you for coming and sharing. So Thanks see you, brother. Thanks for having me.